And uh, today, I'm just excited to share with you. I got a message out of uh, um, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, and my title is Equipped to Serve. Equipped to Serve. And I love that picture. That's... um. That's our, that's our youth group, and that's, that's a group out of our youth group that did the summer discipleship, and uh, we just had an incredible time, and we, um, we did some service projects, and we spent time just uh, hanging out, and it was just an awesome summer, and we just, the goal was just to grow closer to Christ and become more like Him, you know, and uh, we just, it was awesome, and equipped to serve, as I'm thinking about this idea, uh, I'm thinking about my washing machine. All right, hold on with me. I'm thinking about my washing machine. See, my washing machine has a tendency of breaking. And uh, it's always the same thing. It's always the pump. The pump breaks. Like, I've replaced it twice already in like a year. And uh, last, this week, it was uh, stop pumping water out. I was like, oh, my goodness. So I didn't even check on it. I didn't even check to see if that was the problem yet. I, I just ordered it on Amazon. I have it already, like, queued up to buy it. And, um, and then, so I go, I, and I, I was like, all right, let me just make sure that um, lint didn't get clogged in the pipe or something. And sure enough, it was just lint clogged in the pipe. And so I cleared it out, and it's working great. And, uh, and, but I was thinking, just that little, it usually would have been the pump, but even just that little pipe being clogged, not, it not doing its job, or the pump not doing its job, it made the entire washing machine not do its job. The, the, my clothes getting washed depended on one tiny part. And if that one tiny part did not work, all the parts basically wouldn't work. They wouldn't do their function. And I think that Paul, in the book of Ephesians, and even in our own lives, and in this church, we could say that if, if a part isn't working, if a piece isn't working, the rest doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work to its full capacity. It's not able to function in its intended purpose. And in a church, there are so many different parts, so many different parts of service and areas of oversight. And, 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 and if there is a piece that's missing or if it's not, if it's not being uh, used or if it's not working out in its intended purpose, the whole body suffers. The whole body suffers. And a church, is, it needs all the working parts. And that's what I want to dig into in this, um, in this uh, sermon today out of Ephesians 4. And uh, this is my idea, is, is this. This is the big statement that I'm going to try to prove from this point forward, is we should live differently in our character, unity, using our gifts as we are connected and building one another in love because of the work of Christ in his life, crucifixion, in his resurrection, in the sending of the Spirit, right? That's my, that's my whole thing. And, and first, I want to dig into the Ephesians. Who are the Ephesians? Who is Paul writing to? What, what's, the, you know, what's going on in Ephesus, the city? And so Ephesus, the Ephesians is just a term for the people of Ephesus. And Ephesus is an ancient city off the coast of what is today uh, Turkey. And it was, a, it was a melting pot of people. Right, Ephesus was, it was a place where it was a Roman, um, pro, it was a Roman city that was taken over. And so there was, there was Roman soldiers in a Roman way of life. It was also 
um, it was also a, a place of commerce, and there was all kinds of trade routes coming through, and, and people from all different countries were meeting in this, in this city. It was also uh, a religious center. It was, the, it was the temple of Artemis, one of the seventh, seven wonders of the ancient world, was in Ephesus, and Artemis was, uh, was the goddess of fertility, magic, and astrology, right? And so, there's a lot of different ideas going on in Ephesus. Not only that, but it's actually a, a big location of Jew, di, what's called diaspora Jews, Jews who were displaced from the previous uh, exiles that happened. And also just, uh, yeah, just leaving Israel. There's a, there's a big population of uh, Jews in, in Ephesus. Man, there's a lot going on in Ephesus. I mean, you got people from every walk of life, from every economic status to every religious status. And, and they're all in this place, mixing and mingling. And not only that, there is a community of people who found Christ. And they come from these backgrounds. And now they are meeting together. And I think this is why Paul, he's going to deal with the idea of unity pretty heavily. And I think it's for this purpose, to show them that although we come from all these different backgrounds and histories, we come together and we've been united by the work of Christ, right? And that's, that's what we're getting into. And really, that's what the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is all about. It's about the work of Christ. You see, what Paul, he, need, he needs them to understand is that they've been called to, to believing in Jesus. And this belief in Jesus is it's by grace through faith. I messed that up in the first service. I got it right this time. It's, it's even more funny if you were there, man. It was not good. And it's by grace through faith that we have been saved, right? It's not a work of our own. It's a work of God. It's the work of Jesus that we've been saved. And, and because Jesus has died, risen, and is alive today, right, we now are, have been given the Holy Spirit. And Paul makes very clear that the Jewish people who, who thought that all of God's promises were for them, and now the Gentiles who thought they were excluded from God's um, promises have come together and they've become one, one people. They've become one church and they both have the Holy Spirit, right? And now Paul is making sure they know because of God's work, there is a unity that's happened and it's all because of what Christ has done, right? Chapter four becomes this bridge. It's this link in the book. And what's happening is Paul is going from giving the work of Christ and the effects of his work to now getting into an application of the work of Christ. And that from chapter four on, Paul is gonna be telling them the way that they should live based on what Christ has done in their lives. And so let's jump in. Let's jump in. Chapter four, verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That therefore, it's, it's telling us what he's about to say is based on what's been said previously. And what he's, it's actually this link that therefore is not just linked to the previous sentence, it's the link to the previous three chapters. So therefore, because Christ has died for you and has risen and is alive and he sent the Holy Spirit, walk worthy of the call. What is the call? That salvation that Jesus has done for you. Walk worthy of the salvation of that, that Christ has given to you. How are we supposed to do that? That's what the rest of the book is all about. Verse two. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, humility. In that Ephesian culture, humility was actually a derogatory term, right? Humility was the opposite of what you wanted to be. You wanted to be proud and strong and courageous and dominant and, 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 and prideful. You wanted to tell people about all the good that you've done and work your way up in the social status. And, and what Paul is telling them is so countercultural. Be humble. Nobody wanted to be humble back then. The truth is nobody wants to be humble today. It's at the dying of self to become humble. And, and, and so this, this word humility, I love what John Stott says about this word. He says, now humility is essential to unity. Pride lurks behind all discord, while the greatest single secret of concord is humility. He says later on, if however, instead of maneuvering for the respect of others, which is pride, we give them our respect by recognizing their intrinsic, intrinsic God-given worth, which is humility, we shall be promoting harmony in God's new society. What Paul is really establishing in this letter is the way of the new society, right? Christianity isn't a country, but it is a people group. And, and, and it's, a, it's a, uh, an inclusive people group that invites others to become a part in, with belief in Jesus. And what Paul is doing is he's, he's now establishing the manner in which this, this people are to live. He's establishing the ways of the new society that lives throughout all the societies, right? The Christians who live in, in, in every country of the world, he is establishing how are we supposed to live? What is our uh, manner of life? Humility. What else? Gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness um, is often perceived as weakness or an inability to be strong, but really gentleness is controlled strength, controlled courage, right? It, it's, it's, the, it's the ability to do what you want, when you want, and have the power to do it, but to say, I'm holding back. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna be forceful. I'm gonna walk with somebody. I'm not gonna drag somebody, right? What else? He says, um, not only gentleness, but patience. Patience. Patience is one of the uh, characteristics that we find over and over in the Old Testament referring to God. It's one of his key characteristics, and it's referred to as uh, um, long-suffering or, yeah, uh, slow to anger. Slow to anger. Um, man, we slow to anger. Jesus, give me some more slow to anger. Because maybe I don't show it, but I get angry pretty fast, Right? And so I need God to make me slow to anger, to become patient. And not just for the sake of looking good, but for the sake of the ones next to me, right? Patience. Uh, what else does he says? He says, bearing with one another in love, right? The truth is, we're all imperfect. And the people in Ephesus were imperfect. And they were probably doing things that got on each other's nerves. I mean, you have, you have people coming out of um, a pagan lifestyle, and then you have, you have devout Jews, right? I mean, it, these people are the most opposite you could come to in their demeanor as well as in their practices. And so now they're coming together, and, and the Jewish people might be saying, these people are wild. 
And, 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 the, and the pagan people might be saying, these people are a bunch of born people, right, to the Jews maybe because of their, their strict uh, lifestyle to the Torah. And, and, and I'm sure that they got on each other's nerves. Bearing with one another in love because they found a common goal, a common, a common thread, right, that Christ has united them, right? I was thinking of the guy who, who holds up the ball. Have you ever seen that statue, right? He holds up the world. Uh, the Atlas Man, Pastor Jamie reminded me, the Atlas Man. And the, the Atlas Man, he holds up the world, right? In the Christian lifestyle, in the, in the people of God, we bear with one another. We don't bear alone, right? A, a Christian point of view would be all of us holding the world, right, as Christ holds us, right? And, and, and so we are together, bearing with one another. When someone is hurting and down, when, when there's a problem in, in your family or a problem, maybe a mistake you've made or, or whatever it might be, we don't let each other fall away. We don't ignore one another. We don't try to forget. We, we, we bear with one another. We remember, we care, we forgive, right? It's, it's, this, it's this coexistent, mutual onward focus. It's, it's, we're going together. We're not alone. We bear with one another. I love just, just a, an overview of these. Uh, one of the authors, he says, if we are quick to get angry, we need to work on patience. And if we have a tendency to be proud, arrogant, egocentric, and boastful, and who doesn't struggle with these, we need to work on humility. If we are insensitive, uh, bullish at times, rough, bossy, or quick to impose on others, we need to work on gentleness. If we struggle with being intolerant with the shortcomings of other people, we need to work on bearing with one another in love. These are the different character virtues that make up the walking worthy of the call, the walking as a, the reflection of Christ. If Christ has saved us and we've experienced his love, we can't help but want to change. And what do we change into? We change into this, right? Next part right here, I love this part. Um, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why is it the unity of the spirit? And why are we just maintaining it, maintaining it and not creating it? Well, when Christ went to heaven, he sent the spirit and the spirit has gone to all those who believe in him. And he's the one who unites us and he's the one who begins these desires in our heart to work out these virtues and to care for one another and be gentle and patient and bear with one another. And, and it's, it's, not a, it's not a create this because it's the spirit who's already unified us and we are to maintain it. It's he's done it and we are maintaining what he has done with his power right? In the bond of peace, right? Peace. I love that word. It could also be said wholeness or welfare. It's a, it's a satisfaction um, within you that with the bond of peace, we're bonded in, in, in calmness and in tranquility. And, and even though the world is crazy and our lives are crazy, there is a peace that comes when we see that we are unified and walking together, bearing with one another, gentle with one another, patient with one another. It produces a, a bond of peace in our community. Let's move to the next section here. We've now established what is the character virtues that make up the walking worthy. Now we see in verse seven, 
uh, verse four, sorry. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope, the hope, the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's a word that's repeated many times, the word one. What he's doing here is he's establishing the basis for why we're unified. How is unity possible in the church? Unity is possible in the church because if there is one body and one spirit, it's because there is one hope and there is uh, one call and there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God, Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are able to be one body as there is one spirit, right? The spirit that we all have. Why? Because God is one. Because there is one God and there's one faith and there's one baptism. We can't have two different churches. We can't have two different belief systems as Christians because there's only one God to believe in and one baptism to be baptized in. Right? The baptism of Jesus Christ. There's only, right? There's only one faith to be had. We can't be disunified. We can't, we can't both say we are Christians, but disagree on Jesus. We can't, we can't both be Christians and say, I do whatever I want. I follow the world, and, 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 and Jesus, he's a good guy. He's a philosopher of some kind, uh, and, but I'm a Christian. No. We can only, we are all Christians. We are all unified by Jesus because there's only one Jesus to believe in. There's only one God to believe in. So the basis for the unity within the church is that there is only one God and one faith to believe in, right? And there is a, 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 a uh, there is a, a room, there is room for different interpretations, but there is not room for a different interpretation of who Jesus is and who God is in the work that he's done on the cross, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in the work of the spirit in our lives today, in his coming back again. There is no room for interpretation that Jesus is real, that God is real, and that he has saved us from sin and will bring us home again one day. And so we are unified in our faith. He is the basis for our unification. And then we jump into the next verse here. But, but, that word right there usually gives a contrasting thought to what's been said before. What's he gonna say that, that differs from this? I mean, wh where's he going? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Within this unity, there is a diversity, right? If you look in the, just before this, he says, one God of Father, and Father of all who is uh, over all and through all and in all. God is the same for all people. But now there is an each, each one of us now, there is a difference that's happening between each pe person. And, and what is that? But grace was given. And this word grace is actually differing from the word he used for salvation. It's a different grace here that he's using. It's, it's actually a grace of gift giving, right? And, and this, but grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. What he's saying is, within this unity is a diversity of gifts that have been given by God. 
Each one of us has different personalities and passions and interests and skills and abilities and potential. And, and, and Christ has given us this. Oh, and, and why has he given it? Well, that's what we'll find in, 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 the, in the following verses. But first, if, if you don't think that you have a gift, if you don't think that Christ has looked at you and said, I have chosen you to do something, to, to share my goodness with the world, share my goodness with your friends, with your family, with your church, then check this out, verse eight. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He's quoting Psalm 68, which is a psalm that uh, Israel, it, it was penned for Israel. And it was a, it was a psalm requesting the, the, the victory in the power of God as a mighty warrior. And what he's describing is what's common in the ancient world is kings would go out to battle and they would conquer the enemies and they would plunder them and they would bring back the plunder and they would, they would parade in their city, right? And then, and so what, what the psalmist is doing is he's showing that, that God, God beat my victorious king who conquers and comes back and, and, gives, the, and gives the plunder, who give, and gives the, the gifts to your people. And what Paul is picking up is that Jesus is the conquering king. He is God who came as man, and he has conquered sin and death, the greatest enemies to all people. And he has come back, and he has said, here, I now give you gifts. So if you don't think that God has chosen you and gifted you, that there is something that you can't do, know that you can. Why? Because Jesus has won the victory. He is the conquering king, right? He has come back. Amen. Jesus is good, and he wants to empower you and have you use what he has given, right? Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He's describing this victory that he had, how Jesus died on the cross. He humbled himself. He conquered the evil forces. He conquered uh, sin and death. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. God has, Jesus has won the victory and he fills all things. There is nothing that stands uh, in his way. Verse 11, and now here's a more detailed description of, these, of some of these gifts. And remember, each has been given a gift, right? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so what he's now he's doing is he's, he's categorizing gifts, and he lists five different gifts that are primarily teaching gifts, but they are not exhaustive. Uh, the New Testament lists over 20, and that's not thought to be exhaustive. There's more than that, right? And so there is gifts of, some people have the gift of encouragement, the gift of discernment, the gift of teaching, the gift of mercy, the gift of administration, and the list goes on. And, and the people, the people of God who have these gifts are said to be equipped by who? By the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, Right? And, and, and we, have the, we have our 12 apostles and we have the prophets of the Old Testament and of the new and, and we have evangelists who, who are alive today like Billy Graham and, and Billy Sunday and all these amazing uh, evangelists and, and, and some are here today who have gifts to be used by God, right? The gift of evangelism, 
And we also have shepherds and teachers, and those are thought to be the same gift, uh, the same person. Um, And so we have these teaching gifts. Why are they listed here and the others are not? Because we are to be equipped by these people because they're handling the word of God. Really, these people are, are a medium to the word of God to the instructions of Jesus and, uh, and the Holy Spirit on how, to, on how to live, on how to think, on how to behave and act, how to affect this world in the way that Christ has called us to. And so these teaching gifts are listed here because they are the gifts that link us to the will of God for our lives, which is this right here. We have nothing new to say on a Sunday morning. It's all been said in this book, and we are just teaching it in a manner that we can apply today. But it's already been said. The canon is closed. God's word is true. It's full, and it doesn't need anything else. What it needs is it needs us to live it out. And so that's why these gifts are listed. And why? what is the purpose of these teaching gifts? It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I love this passage so much because in this society, it was a hierarchy society. There were people who were in charge of other people, in charge of other people, in charge of other people. But, but Paul is breaking down a hierarchy and he's showing that all people are doing the work. All the church is doing the work of ministry. It's not, it's not relegated to a select few. It's given to the church as a whole, yes. right? To be equipped for ministry. And so... I'm not the only person in this church doing ministry, thank God. It'd be a disaster, right? We are doing ministry together. We are doing it together. And, 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 and my job is to equip our Sunday school teachers and, and, and our youth group leaders, right? And, 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 and uh, our young adult uh, leaders, right? And thank God for, for, for uh, Becky Doobie, who's equipping me to help do these things, right? And, and we are doing this together. We are doing this together. We are being equipped. And that word equipped is amazing. I was talking to my dad that I was going to be doing this uh, passage. And he's like, that's a great passage. And you got to read this guy, uh, William Barclay. He's got a great uh, word study on that word equipped. And in, in the original language, that word equipped, it was often used in different contexts, different, different uh, areas. And it was sometimes used for fishermen when they would mend their nets, right? They would be what you would, we would just say equipping nets based on this word here, but they would be mending their nets, the same word. And it's also used for, in medical context, for setting bones back into place. And, and it's also used um, in, uh, in, in a political context to bring people from opposing sides together for a common goal, right? This word equipped, it was used all these different ways. And now Paul is using it for the church. And what I think, uh, and what some other scholars have said is, is that this word is being used to show that the church is being mended. It's being, uh, it's being set in place. It's, it's, it's being brought together for what it was intended to do. We were made in the image of God to reflect his image, reflect his character in, in his will on this earth. And, and as we're coming together, hearing God's word, we're being equipped to do what Jesus has called us to do. We're being equipped to be disciples and to make disciples. 
We're being equipped to, to make sure that, that, that the, the lights work and, and, and that the, the screens work. And we're being equipped to, to be security in the church. And we're being equipped to teach children downstairs. And we're being equipped to, to do uh, music and, and lead worship and being equipped for all these ministries. And I'm only naming a small fraction of how many there are. And, and we're being equipped and we're being brought together, mended. We're being, uh, uh, we're being set in place to do what we were intended to do based on the mercies and, and the grace of God to save us. We are now from his word learning how to live it out with our gifts. You have a gift. I know you do because it says that Jesus conquered and he's come back and he's given you a gift. And I know that you are here and you're, you're meant to be a minister of the gospel and whatever gifting you've been given by Jesus. And my job and Pastor Jamie's and the other ministry leaders here, our job is to make sure that you have an opportunity in a, in a place, in, 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 a, in a leading to use that gift that you've been called to. God wants to use you. He wants to equip you. And until what end do we do this? Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To what end, to what standard, to, to, to what picture, what comparison are we doing this? We're doing this until we attain the unity of the faith right, the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, right, or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ is the standard by which we are comparing ourselves. We are not comparing, I'm not comparing myself to somebody else who does similar to what I do. I'm not comparing myself to anybody except Jesus. At least I should only, right? And so that means we have a lot of work to do, right? because Jesus was perfect. And so for the rest of our lives, we will be growing and maturing in our knowledge and our giftings, in our maturity, so that we can measure to the stature of the fullness of Christ. And though we might not attain it in this life, we will not. We, we one day will meet him face to face and we will have finished this leg of the race. And I wanna make sure that I measured myself against Christ and I did it in a manner that Christ would want me to do it. That, that I was regaining the image of God that I was created in, but tarnished in sin. And, and, and I began to change back to what God created me for because of him, right? We need, we need to measure ourselves to the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's encouraging because you don't have to worry about the person next to you. You gotta worry about yourself and, the whole, and, and Jesus and say, Jesus, help me to become more like you. You don't have to say, Jesus, help me become like anybody else. Unless there's something you love about them that's like Jesus, you say, Jesus, help me become like you. That's what we're doing. That's the measure. And to what, to what end does this have, what, to what goal does this accomplish? What is the result of this? Verse 14, so that, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, 
speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What is the result of this? It's an amazing, beautiful community that, that isn't tossed around by, by, by false doctrines and bad ideas and, and isn't, isn't jealous of, of worldly things, but it's, it's encompassed and it's, it's, it's just in awe of the Lord and it's working together, speaking truth and love. What a great image of what this community should look like of all, all of what we've just said, that this character that we've now gained as we're becoming like Christ and, and the gifts we've been given by Christ to use with this character, it's a very often way we're gonna live this out is by speaking truth in love. It's a characteristic of the community. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This community is growing together, not singularity, but in, in together we're doing it as a union, as a group. We are walking into him who is the head into Christ. We're becoming more like him. And how is this body, how is this community held together? From whom the whole body, right? Into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together. Jesus holds us together by every joint with which it is equipped. And he's holding it together with the equipping that he's given. And so who's doing the real equipping of this church? It's Jesus. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All of these different pieces, all these different ministries, children and youth and, and, and media and sound and security and recovery and apologetics and, and all these amazing different ministries, women's ministry, men's ministry, grief ministry, all these amazing things that are happening in the church what if they were happening, but they weren't being built up in love? What if we were doing amazing things, but we were all angry at each other, and we were really good at, at getting our job done and, you know, and, and, and being task-oriented, and we got, I mean, we were on the ball, but there wasn't love. We're being built up in love. That is a characteristic of what this community should look like. It's a sign of true growth, of true health. Jesus wants to use us. He wants to do something powerful. Uh, I have here just a quick, uh, just an overview of what we just said is that because of the work of Christ, our character should be transformed. And our gentleness, our patience, our uh, bearing with one another in love, our humility, eagerness for unity. And within this unity that's made up of these characteristics, there should be a diversity of gifts that are working to build each other up and, and, and we're being equipped by God's word. And the goal of all this is becoming more like Christ. It, it, we're becoming more like Christ. He's the standard. And, and, it's being, and it's being built up in love. I love what uh, Barclay, what he says, he has this beautiful illustration uh, what does it mean to become like Christ? Uh, there was a lady, um, her name was Florence Nightingale. Maybe you've heard of her. She was a, a, uh, a nurse in the 1800s. And, and um, in one of the wars, she was a British nurse. She actually revolutionized the way that nursing was done. And um, she was in a war zone 
in the Crimean War. And this is a story from there. During the Crimean War, Florence Nightingale was passing one night down a hospital ward. She passed to bend over the bed of a sorely wounded soldier. As she looked down, the wounded lad looked up and said, you're Christ to me. A saint has been defined as someone in whom Christ lives again. That is what the true church member ought to be. This passage is teaching us how can we become like Christ to one another in our character, our gifts, and what is the product of that? It's this community of love. And so we are to become like him. We are to become images of him. You know, I was thinking in our community, what is, I mean, just what is an illustration of this? And I was, uh, this last um, summer, I was the first time I really watched the Tour de France. And I, it's, a, it's the biggest bike race in the world. And it's 21 stages or 21 individual races that make up one giant race. And uh, I've never really been into watching sports, but I got really into this because you could see that these guys were suffering, man. They were working like harder than I've ever seen anyone work. And, and not only that, but I didn't know biking is a team sport. I always thought everyone was facing each other, but they're not. Right, and so I'm watching. I'm watching these races, and and what I learned is this: there is one person on the team who's actually supposed to win the race, and then he has like five or six teammates that are supposed to help him win the race, right? And so, and so these these other teammates, what they do is some of them go in front and they block the wind from from hitting the from hitting their their winner and then some will will go back and forth to the car and that's a lot of work slowing down and then having to speed up that's the worst and, and he has to go he gets water bottles and food for his winner and then and then also there's there's some who they 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 have to be aggressive and fight for placement in the peloton right in the big group and and they make sure that they have a winning spot that they have a chance to win right and then and then there's some who they I forget now, but they do so many things. There's so many things, and they're, and they're serving in all these different ways. Actually, all the other teammates of the winner, they're actually, I, I forget the exact name, but it's a French word, but it means servant. They are the servants of the winner, right? And, and it's so cool. And everything they do is to help him win. And I was thinking about that guy who's out in front breaking the wind, making sure that he has a spot in the front, right? When he gets about 400 yards to the end of the, to the finish line, what he does is he gets out of the way, right? He gets out of the way. And I would almost sometimes get emotional as I'm watching. Like, I really, I started loving some of these bike riders so much. Rachel said I was a little obsessed. And, and this one guy, right, Wout Van Aert, right, my favorite rider, he, he was a servant of of uh, uh, Jonas Vindigo. And, and so Wout, he was, he's probably the strongest, most versatile bike rider, but he doesn't win because he's not the greatest at one thing. He's one of the best at all the things. And so he would climb up the mountains. Like it was literally, it was so incredible the pace that they're going. And they're just suffering for hours going up hills like as steep as that, right? And he gets maybe a half a mile from the finish line and he just drops off right? And then Vindigo just pops out like a rocket, and, and he just starts running up the mountain, right? And people are just trying to chase him. And, and I'm looking, and they keep showing, wow, Van Aert, and he is, uh, he is just beat. He is, like, broken after this. He's just barely making it. He'll probably get, like, 
30th place because he did his job. He was out in front. He, he, he led his winner to as far as he could go, go and, and, and he could not go another moment. He could not push as hard as he was going for another moment, and he drops out, and his winner shoots out. What we're doing here in ministry is, is, is the ministry leaders, is, our goal is this, is we are trying to be like Wout Van Art. We're trying to be like these, like these guys and equip you and give you what you need and give you opportunity and teach you God's word so that you, you know the will of God for your life. And what we're trying to do is run this race, right? Is we are biking as hard as we can and we're trying to go out in front and, and, and get you a position and, and get you a place. And what we're trying to do is then when we get 400 yards from the, from the finish line. Get out of the way so that you can go and you can win and you can be the one who goes out in front and gets the victory. That's our goal. That's what we want. Because ministry is a team sport. And, and the energy we get to do it is not from eating protein bars. It's, it's from knowing Jesus being filled with his spirit. Right? And what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to cultivate a community that we are all ministering to one another. We're all being built up in love as we're, as we're coming into the fullness and stature of Christ, comparing ourselves to him and not each other. We're moving towards this finish line. And people are starting to shoot out and go for the victory. And the beautiful part is we can all win in this sport, in this, in this life. And, and, and some of you have beautiful gifts Beautiful gifts of, of, of technology. We need help in technology. And some of you have the gift of mercy. And we need, we need van drivers, people who meet needs and, and are there to help others. We, we need gifts of, of teaching children. We need gifts of, we, and you have them. And many of you are using them. And it's amazing. And the danger within a team sport, and especially a bike ride, is, 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 is you can lean and you can hold on to other people to pull you and, and to pull you the way. But Christ is working within you. He's gifted you. He says each. He's gifted you, and he's working in your heart and your life so that you can ride with your force that he's given you. You don't have to depend on the faith of others to know Jesus and serve him. You can depend on Jesus and you can bear with one another, but your faith, your life with God does not depend on somebody else. It depends on your belief. It depends on you walking with Jesus and you enact out that faith and you grow in that faith by bearing with one another. But you cannot hold on and just hope someone will drag you across the finish line. You have to get on your bike and bike as well. You have to make sure that you also are reading the word, are spending time in prayer, are, are, are talking with your friends about Jesus, are, are being encouraged by him, are uh, turning on a worship song and, and, just, and maybe just listening and allowing the spirit to work in you or, 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 or singing it and, and, and worshiping Jesus for how good he is. But we are needed to work together as one body. And so we must all ride. We must all go forward. We must all use our gifts that we've been given, right? And God will do something amazing. I know because he's already done the most amazing thing, which is die for our sins and rise again. And now he wants to use that grace he's given us 
to help others to form this new society, the Christian way, so that people can come to faith in him. And so my charge is this. Allow Jesus to transform your character because of what he's done, salvation. Identify the gift that he gave you. Use that gift and grow together in becoming like Christ as we build each other up in love, right? I'm just gonna invite the worship team to come. Jesus is too good, man. He is so good. And he wants to use us to bless this community. He wants to use us to create a place in this city where people who get saved and hear about Jesus and maybe from you or from a friend and they hear about Jesus, they fall in love with Jesus, that they're not left out to wander and figure it out on their own, but they have a place that's rooted in God's word and is growing in love and in the stature and fullness of Christ to his standard and they have a place to be discipled and grow. Join a community group. Find a place to get plugged in. Find a place to serve. Make sure you have time for your family so that you can be that to them, so that you can grow as a family as well. Man, Jesus has beautiful plans for our lives. His will is amazing, and it's uncovering as we continue forward. So allow Jesus to transform you. Allow Jesus to use you, because he'll do amazing things. He'll do amazing things. He'll equip you to serve, and he'll build us up in love to his standard. Let's pray. Father, we just love you. You're amazing, Lord. You're full of grace and truth. You're full of power, yet gentleness. You're humble, yet you're exalted. You are the almighty God. And we come before you in awe that you love us to the extent that you saved us from what, from what we deserved. Jesus, you died on the cross so that we could live with you forever, so that our sins, the wrongs, would be forgiven. And you've given us new life as you have been raised from the dead so that we could now enact out this mercy to others, so that we could be uh, reflections of you. Help us, Lord. change in our character, in our gentleness, in our patience, in our bearing with one another, in our eagerness for unity, to always think of a positive before a criticism, to encourage instead of tear down, to talk well of one another, to pray for one another to lift others up and, and admonish them instead of our own accomplishments. To not be bullish and, 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 and try to get our way and demand our point of view, but to listen and hear what others have to say. That God, we would use the gifts you've given us, gifts like encouragement and teaching and discernment and wisdom administration and all the others, Lord, to build up the body, Lord, in the stature and the fullness of you, to become more like you, God, 
And as a result, create an amazing community that's rooted and strong and isn't broken down by bad ideas, but stands firm and helps the lost and is built in love, God. Jesus, you are amazing. Bless your people, Lord. And maybe today you're saying, I just want to be a part of this. I, 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 just, want, I just want to receive that salvation, that grace. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. If you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross and rose again and lives today, you've, 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 you've now received his love, his forgiveness. But if you just want to say it out loud, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your grace that saved me from sin. And thank you, Jesus, that you've given me a gift to be used for your people. Help me become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand together.